Thank you, President Marion. It's my great pleasure today to introduce Kirsten Sayers. Uh, Kirsten, as Marion mentioned, is from EDAR, which was admitted as a corporate member to our club in February, just before COVID struck us down. Uh, Kirsten's a law graduate from the University of Melbourne, and she studied at the East Asia China School of Politics and Law in Shanghai. Uh, for a decade, she was at Austrade. Uh, and I have it on good authority from my friend and past member, Leith Doody, that Kirsten is probably the most capable trade diplomat that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. She is really quite remarkable. So Kirsten comes to us very well credentialed. Um, I first met Kirsten around 2009 when we developed a leadership scholarship at Monash University funded by Austrade to commemorate Craig Sanger, who died in the Jakarta Hilton bombing. So I'm looking forward to catching up with Kirsten again in her new role as CEO of Red R. And she'll be talking to us today on the topic of engaging communities during a humanitarian response. Can I introduce Kirsten Sayers? Thanks very much, Peter. I had such a smile on my face from that video with all the face masks. And then, and then I reflected on the Jakarta bombings and, and it's, a, it's a difficult time, a difficult memory for all of us who were involved. I'm very happy to be here with you today. Thank you for asking me to join you. And I have several of my colleagues here also, uh, Drasco, Robin, Bridget, and Sharon. And I also have some family members online. And I saw Clive Hollands there. And Clive, a big shout out to you for inviting us into Rotary Club Melbourne, into your, into your Rotary family and for making us so welcome. I'm speaking with you today from our operations centre in Carlton. And given the, the numbers in Victoria today, I think uh, I will be doing the weekend board meetings from home. From this operations centre, at the moment, we have 64 folk in deployment around the world. Most of those are involved in a COVID response one way or another, but equally they are responding to the needs of refugees from the Syria crisis, Bangladesh, Cox's Bazaar. They're responding to typhoons and disasters in the Pacific, so disasters on top of a public health emergency. And they're working to strengthen systems, to strengthen institutions so that countries can respond better when the disaster does strike. It seems to me from the few months that I've been involved with Rotary, that Rotary and Red R have something, a couple of things really in common. And it's not just that we, we hold service, people and community at the heart of everything we do, but it's also 
that both organizations are a little bit like Hotel California. Once you check in, you just can't check out. We're taking you now to our cover girl. This is Angie Birchill with the baseball cap and the red R shirt. Some of you may know Angie. She was, she has deployed with red R on multiple occasions. In this case, as a protection and gender specialist with the United Nations Women in PNG following the earthquakes response a couple of years ago. But Angie has also been a Rotary Peace Fellow and she's left a legacy of phenomenal strengthening of systems and empowering of women and equality in the areas where she has worked. These numbers were from December last year. They're the numbers that we included in our submission to the Australian government on the then international development policy earlier this year. But the global context has changed markedly since then. Not only has the numbers changed, but in doing so, the number of vulnerable people have become so much more vulnerable. As we all know, in a crisis, it's the vulnerable people, the women, children, the older folk, those with disabilities, who become more vulnerable. Now, in this pandemic, we see a pandemic. We see a health crisis. We, see we also see geopolitical tensions increasing and contestability for oceans and the consequences that that brings within our region. So this number is now much higher and the number of people needing help in the future will also be much higher in Australia and around the world. Our organisation, Red R Australia, builds resilience. We relieve suffering and we work with partners, with countries, with UN agencies, communities, before, during and after crises and conflicts. And they may be wars, they may be the Ebola crisis in West Africa or the current COVID crisis, can equally be the earthquakes, the typhoons, the floods. Red R Australia is part of the Red R International Federation. It's been around for 40 years, established in the UK, originally the Register of Engineers for Disaster Relief. So starting out, a lot of practical folk, good engineers, strong shelter, water, sanitation, hygiene, logistics, strengths. And we grew from there. From that original Register of Engineers, working with the United Nations Refugee Agency, mostly around shelter. We have grown to cover 79 schools profiles. We have partnerships with 14 United Nations agencies and are the only United Nations standby partner in the Asia Pacific and Southern Hemisphere. We work with the UN agencies based in New York, Rome and Geneva. When there is a crisis, when those UN agencies have a, a niche skill that is required, a person with deep technical expertise who's also been trained in how to respond in a crisis, who has been vetted and, and has the right uh, 
criminal checks, no criminal background, the right checks for and training for working with vulnerable populations, that's when we provide our folk. We provide them in as a surge capacity into a specific technical role. They're still our deployees. We carry the duty of care, but they may be seen wearing a shirt of a United Nations agency and not a Red R shirt. So in many ways, Red R's better known in Geneva or New York than we are in Melbourne. So that's another reason it's a great pleasure for me to share with you some of our work today. We talked a little bit about what Red R and Rotary have in common. Well, we're both established by the professions coming together and focused on service. We are united in our efforts to serve others. And my colleagues, our regional managers based in Amman, Jordan and in Suva, Fiji, are linked in with Rotary in their neighbourhoods. Sharon, our colleague here in Melbourne office, she's a member at Macedon Rotary. We are aligned in our vision, mission and values and that forms a solid platform for our partnership and our relationship into the future. Talking about a public health emergency becoming a pandemic, becoming a disaster, and then other disasters happening on top of that. The impact in Australia and overseas, we see it unfolding before our very eyes. Over the last few months, the, the, our office, our community has totally reinvented itself. Apart from me being here in the office today, we are working from home. As I mentioned, we have 64 folk deployed overseas. Uh, when COVID really struck for Australia in March, we looked at the, the profiles, the risk profiles of the people we had overseas. We brought back immediately those who were over 65. We offered everyone else the opportunity to stay or go. And one of our, one of our folk we managed to extricate from Baghdad with four hours before Baghdad airport shut down. We're now working from home. We've innovated, we've negotiated new modalities for deployments, we've negotiated new insurance, and we've set, we've set a new standard for people being able to deploy but work remotely. We've also used the opportunity to, to use some of the very skilled folk in our in the Pacific Islands who are on our roster. And in doing so, we've been able to provide surge support without flying people around. With the global logistics and travel restrictions, restricting movement of our people, of resources, and of the services, the technical expertise that we bring, with the closed borders, the quarantine impositions in Australia and overseas, insurance challenges, we've found new ways to provide humanitarian support. We're an organisation that is committed to learning and we're currently undertaking an, an external review so that we can see where we've learnt, where we need to learn more, what we can do better. We don't see this disaster going away anytime soon and we need to continue to evolve and continue to meet the needs of the affected communities overseas. 
Clearly, duty of care is an important one for us. And equally, it will continue to be so. We've deployed during this time to the Pacific in a response to Cyclone Harold, which came through Vanuatu and Fiji. And we were able to do that in an agile fashion. We had eight people already on the ground in Vanuatu and we were able to employ one of our local Vanuatu roster members to also contribute to the effort. In Indonesia, we've worked with our, our is it a brother organisation, sister organisation, but it's part of the Red R International family to provide Indonesians into UN agencies in Jakarta to support the response in Indonesia with local people who speak the language, who understand the culture. We've pivoted in many ways we've done things. We continue to, to learn, respond, recalibrate as we go. on the news just before I left Australia and how they were sort of spreading and the deaths and the evacuation and I remember that feeling about sort of doom coming and it's the same sort of feeling in these camps. I'm Neil Doherty, I'm a drainage engineer from Melbourne. I normally work on drainage designed for estates or just new housing developments. That's where the flooding is there. And, uh... So this is um, Cox's Bazaar. Now it's raining. When I first got here, I thought I would be doing the drainage design for the camps and looking at flooding issues. But within three or four days, the COVID uh, emergency happened. There was a real sense of urgency to just go flat out and build stuff as quickly as we could. Worked on the design and construction of a 144-bed hospital, the refurbishment of a 50-bed hospital, and also working out the oxygen supplies and configuration for the staff emergency facility. population that is about uh, maybe a third the size of Melbourne but the buildings that people are living in is probably the size of a lounge room in Melbourne and so there's you know six to ten people in each lounge room. It's exceptionally dense and so you get all sorts of infrastructure problems with drainage overflowing sometimes, uh, a lack of running water. social messaging about distancing and wearing masks isn't always getting through. People are gathering, they'll be shoulder to shoulder without 
masks and so the transfer potential is enormous. Hello. Hello Neil, how are you? Good, how are you? He called me, he called me on the phone. He said that he's going overseas for three months and he was going uh, uh, as an engineer. You're uh, still um, in isolation a little bit for the virus? Yeah, yes. I said to him when the virus came, I said, be very, very careful. Because that's even like that in Australia and in Melbourne, that's all you can say. You accept what they do as long as they're happy and they're doing their very best and they're safe. There's a relentlessness um, in each day that, you know, being in this environment uh, takes, I guess. And um, the bad news, it, it does become a bit accumulative. <laughs> It's good just to get out of this environment and just, you know, have a bit of time for yourself. And so there's like a, um, someone selling coconuts around the corner. So each afternoon it's nice just to get out for a, a walk. In terms of coming home, it's not that I don't want to come home. It's just that there is a, a reason to be here and it is to support the refugee camps. If the crisis really does hit hard here, people need to be here to help. The world is now facing one of the worst pandemics in the last century. Other existing threats such as climate change will contribute to an increase in the need for humanitarian assistance in Australia and overseas. Being able to rapidly respond to crises, to disasters as they unfold, is more than delivering humanitarian aid. It's more than technical expertise. It's more than training. It's about pulling together all parts of our society, everybody with complementary skills to plan, to prepare, and to find solutions to help all of humanity. For us, it's really important that the community leads the response. We're committed to supporting communities, to supporting countries, to strengthen their traditional and local capacity. And this is why over half of our deployments in the past year have supported overseas partners and communities before a crisis. Strengthening systems to strengthen resilience, to shorten the time involved to respond when the crisis strikes. As I mentioned, Vanuatu was hit hard by Cyclone Harold in April, forcing the country to address start to recover from a cyclone at the same time as COVID was striking. Now Vanuatu closed its borders early and to this day has not had an outbreak of COVID. But for international support to support their response to the cyclone, 
without being able to travel to enter the country, it did require some nimble thinking and response. In Vanuatu, over 120,000 people were affected. That's more than 40% of the total population. And Harold went on to decimate Fiji in the same way. Strong preparedness, strong response plans, cyclone resilient infrastructure developed following Cyclone Pam in Vanuatu a few years ago with the support of humanitarian actors has enabled a much more localized approach in responding to Cyclone Harold. And we note that these cyclones barely make the media in Australia. And yet our neighbors in the Pacific, our neighbors who provided support to us during the bushfires, these neighbors are global leaders of climate change related disaster response. Preparedness is key. And at Red Hour Australia, our priority is to support communities and to provide humanitarian support before the disaster so that we can put the disaster risk reduction frameworks in place. While governments play a very important part during a humanitarian crisis, it's not only their role to build resilience, it needs to take place the responsibility for building and sharing resilience and skills needs to take place at all levels of society. Again, it ensures a stronger response, a faster recovery, learning for the future. The private sector also has a part to play, sharing expertise and innovation to find lasting solutions for communities to thrive and for countries to thrive too. Through joint problem solving, using skilled practitioners from private sector organizations can bring a technical expertise that can then be shared with a community or government. One of our deployees, a systems engineer from actually our IT provider Tickbox, was deployed through the Australia SIS program to support the Bougainville Referendum Commission. The deployment helped the commission ensure the integrity of critical information systems for its independence referendum in 2019. And increasingly, we see that skills that are in abundance in the private sector are needed to support humanitarian efforts around the world. And that's from mapping, it's from information management, it's from emergency telecoms. It's about communicating with communities, understanding their needs in real time. Crowdsourcing information, if you like. There are so many ways we can get involved. And thank you for joining today, for listening and for understanding what Redar does and where we fit into our shared community. Also like to thank Robert Fisher for his cheery wave as he walks past my home in the mornings while I might be outside in the front yard with a, with a small miniature dash hound saying good morning to the plants. <laughs> we talk a little bit about our assets at Red Arm. If we think of our work in terms of assets, our humanitarian training is certainly one of them. And we deliver training courses 
in Australia and overseas to equip professionals to deploy into humanitarian settings and equally to support first responders in other countries overseas. We work with fire service, uh, SES, Australian government, and we run courses in Jordan and we'll be running our first essential of humanitarian practice in Fiji in October. From these training courses, folk can then apply to join our roster. Our roster, that would be a second asset. And it's our roster of 800 qualified, deeply skilled professionals with 79 different skill profiles and soft skills, ability to speak other languages, ability to operate in crisis settings in an unfamiliar environment, often during a very difficult time. These folk are our roster and it's these folk who form the basis of the Australia Assist Program, deploy to UN agencies, to ministries in other countries and to multilateral organisations like the ASEAN Humanitarian Assistance Centre, to the Pacific Community or to the Pacific Disability Forum, for example. We welcome applications for our roster, very much so. And we have a number of roster members who are also members of Rotary. Which brings us to our third asset, and it would be our relationships and our partnerships. And each and every one of you here today is part of our Rotary relationship, our partnership. And we can together ask ourselves, how, how are we going to stand together to build resilience now during a pandemic? And how are we going to stand together to support the communities in which we work and to build back after this crisis. Let us here today be the ambitious ones, the ones who ask the bold questions, the ones who look for ways to collaborate, to innovate and together build a more inclusive, resilient and sustainable tomorrow. I'm very happy to take questions.